Had enough of the been there, done that ideas, tired of too much talk and so little action. Rewind now and welcome to Transformation and Change Radio with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, where the vision of true equity, inclusion, courage, and purpose meet powerfully. Dr. Kathy delivers with dynamic, engaging conversation and the most authentically brave dialogue on air today. This hit show will challenge you to explore current issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion and deepen your capacity to choose courage to speak up to greater inclusion in everything you do. Fasten your seatbelts and accelerate your effectiveness to become a powerful change agent in your life, community, job, and society. Imagine true equity and inclusion and get the tools to really manifest your vision. No frills, no fluff, just really powerful, good stuff. Transformation and Change Radio starts now. Welcome, listeners. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear, Center for Transformation and Change. I could not be more excited to have you all meet Dr. Lee Goodson, President and CEO of Tulsa Community College. I first met Lee, what, a few years ago when you were in a presidential Aspen development program. You've been president there since 2014. That's actually longer than I'm reading that the president's lifetime is at many campuses. I can't, I'm so excited to talk about how do you lead, empower, amplify organizational change, equity, inclusion, especially in these times of dual pandemics, times of racial reckoning. Lee, you have this long experience, faculty, college administrator, president, um, Oklahoma particularly, but you also were a school board member, board of directors of YMCA, Innovation, Oklahoma Innovation Institute. I was particularly excited about your pipeline for students for STEM, so we may circle back to that. What I'm most excited about is people who are in complex organizations who are already senior leaders or aspiring to be, to really hear some of your insights and wisdom about change management, have an equity, inclusion, social justice lens in all you do. So thank you so much, because I can only imagine what your schedule looks like these days. Well, Dr. O'Bear, I am so glad to be here today. And I just want to thank you for the invitation. So really exciting. And it is a sunny day here in Oklahoma. And uh, so we're glad that spring is spring is here. And we're hopefully getting ready for a a great summer where we can um, maybe start easing out of <clears throat> easing out of this pandemic, if you will. But we will we will see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Well, talking about transformation and change, there are things that hopefully we'll take into the future and not go back to the way we were, especially around equity inclusion. But before we deep dive in, could mm-hmm. you just let people know a bit more about yourself and maybe how yeah. you're doing in this time of pandemic? renewed demands for racial reckoning, equity, inclusion. Sure. So uh, I'm in my 30th year in higher education. I know. I, I, I counted it up the other day. I was just like, because I had a friend that was getting ready to retire. And, and she said, I've been in higher ed almost 40 years. And I was thinking, how long have I? And it's been 30 years. And so um, it's, I've, I've had a lot of different roles in higher education. I started off as a traveling admissions counselor. So for uh, those of you that um, have gone to college, you probably uh, met with an admissions counselor and they helped you figure out how to work through that process. 
And that's how I started out. And I was at Fort Hayes State University uh, in Western Kansas at the time. And I would leave on Sunday nights and travel to the Eastern half of the state because that was my territory. And I'd come home on Thursdays. And I loved that role. Um, I would visit anywhere between four and six high schools a day. And I got to know all 120 high school counselors in the area. And it was just, uh, it was great. It was a it was fun. It was a great way to enter higher education. And there was, there was a lot of enthusiasm around that role. And so uh, I, I just really enjoyed it. My career, if you will, has been just progressively responsible. And I've been really lucky to have a lot of different experiences in um, different types of institutions. So Fort Hayes State is a regional state institution. Then I went to Oklahoma State's main campus in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, then I was still with Oklahoma State at the medical school in Tulsa. And there was also a branch campus and I did some work with them. And then I came to TCC as the president. And this is my first experience at a community college. And I've been president for seven years now. And uh, certainly my work uh, as a school board member helped with that. And so it's, it's been great to um, take some of my experience and apply it to this role and learn so much about community colleges and uh, what our purpose is here. And it's not just access, it's access and completion is what we've been really working on here at TCC over the last seven years. And uh, TCC has a long history of and a great foundation um, here in the community. And so just so much has been here to build on. In terms of the pandemic, I think it's been hard for everybody. I haven't spoken with a single president that um, feels like this has been easy or feels like it's been any anywhere near normal. Uh, the word I hear from a lot of my colleagues across the country is exhaustion, um, fatigue. Uh, at first, I think we were experiencing a lot of panic and crisis. And then as things went on, um, then we developed a sense of urgency after we got out of the spring semester and we realized fall was actually coming. And now I think people have felt through this last school year, the words I would use would be, it's been a slog. Mm. Um, we've been waiting, you know, we're always waiting for the new data about the number of cases in our community. It's been slow yet fast. At the same time, we've had to make a lot of decisions uh, very quickly, and yet we still don't feel like we're fully out of it. Mm. Um, people want to return to normalcy, but there's parts of it they don't want back. And so nobody really knows what that looks like because different people want to return to different, different ways of living. And then I think finally, um, we've read in the papers, um, all kinds of newspapers, local newspapers, national newspapers, that it's been sort of a depressing time because you can't see your future necessarily. Mm -hmm. And I think that's um, in some ways, entire institutions can relate to our students, if you mm -hmm. will, because our students want to be able to see their future. And that's us helping students see their future is how we help them become successful. And as institutions, we're trying to see our future. And so collectively, we spend a lot of time communicating and trying to 
uh, remain positive. And at the same time, we've had to make a lot of adjustments that have created a lot of need for change. And with that, then you have a lot of change management that comes with that. So, and I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but that's just sort of a snapshot of where I've been and where we are now. Um, I am optimistic. I think while the news is telling us that vaccinations are slowing down, I think, um, I think as people continue to see more people get the vaccination and do well with it, I think the adoption of it will, will continue to proceed. And so I'm really hopeful that, um, I, I don't believe we've given up at all. I, I think it's just the progress is slowing a little bit, but I think there's a, a critical mass of people that are, are ready for us to get to the next round of normal. Well, why don't we stay here a bit? Because change okay. management, I mean, before your first six years, you were doing incredible change management in this time of pandemic, racial reckoning, and other EDI emphasis. So what, in general, what are some of the more specific ways you've been leading, empowering, amplifying, holding people accountable mm-hmm. in this time of, um, especially these last 15 months, and as you mm-hmm. anticipate moving into summer, and then you all are in a progressive back in person. Am I remembering right? We are. We are at a progressive back in person. In fact, we just now opened up all of the entrances to our buildings. Before, we only had a couple of entrances open on each campus. Some campuses only had one entrance open. We have four campuses across the community. Um, And so this summer, we will have classes um, back to back, whereas before, we used to require a full hour in between each class so we could clean that room. And, but the cases are just low enough in the community that we feel safe with that. We'll continue to have students mask, I think at least through the summer. Um, I'm hearing from our health officials that uh, we may see more in the fall and there may be a seasonal aspect to COVID. And we just got a briefing on that earlier today. So, so there's, there's a lot left to learn as we proceed with this, but back to the, the change management piece sort of and and how have we um, gone through this? I think it's been communicate, communicate, communicate. Mm. We knew right from the beginning that um, our students that had the least amount of resources would be the ones that had the most difficult time navigating COVID. And what we realized right off the bat is that they didn't have internet access. A lot of our students didn't have internet access. and. Of course, our school was not the only one with that challenge. Our public schools across the community, it wasn't just our urban district, it was many of our districts across the community. I think it's deceptive for people. You think if it's a suburban district, they they automatically um, have the resources to uh, have everything they need to be able to be remote or or whatever resource the student needs, and that's not necessarily the case. And so I think as our population continues to grow and diversify, the needs of our students um, become more diverse in all parts of our community. So we had to tackle the internet access first. We checked out some hotspots. One creative measure we took is we put Wi-Fi hotspots in the parking lots. And so, so a student could drive up in their car and go to class uh, via the Zoom class, which we call online live. And, <clears throat> and so we took some measures to help with that. 
But then we also in the summer, we said we have to be open. Campus has to be open. Even though all the classes are remote, we must be open so that students that don't have a computer or Wi-Fi access can come to campus. And we've just progressively created more and more resources. Uh, what we didn't have right at the beginning was just a switch we could turn on to make that possible. But as we've gone through the pandemic, we've been able to prioritize that even more. I think communicating with faculty, staff, and students at every turn has been really important to our success during the pandemic. We started off with um, the TCC Today, uh, where we, we published a newsletter every day, wow. every day, and it was scrolling. So we would add, we would add articles to it at the top and it was a scrolling newsletter, but we just really stayed on top of the communication to make sure that uh, people were informed about different things. And then I think when, um, when as a country we experienced the murder of George Floyd, I think that was something that was really difficult for us because our uh, students of color just needed a level of support. It was harder to, I feel like we were successful um, in supporting our students mm -hmm. and our faculty and staff, uh, all of us, because I think it was, it was a heartbreaking event for so many. And, um, but it was hard because we weren't in person. And, and for some people, I think that that isolation um, made it just that much harder. And so we did experience that. And we've been working on that through um, our division of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and just making sure that our, our support and our programming for students is really accessible. And I've been really proud of what our team has done in that area and how our faculty and staff have been engaged. So. So the daily newsletter, I mean, talk about increasing capacity and stress for the folks doing it. My guess is you also had open forums. I was talking to another president. We did have like, open forums. And my guess is you're continuing, or at least what would you recommend as folks are moving into summer? Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do we continue having people thinking about racial justice, equity, inclusion, preparing for fall, mm -hmm. classroom, inclusive classroom services, while we're also trying to have time for folks to 15, 16 months, the stress, the high anxiety, I can't imagine how people the zooming, are gonna- Just the Zoom oh. fatigue alone, the toll that just the Zoom fatigue alone takes. But I think what we've done here at TCC and, um, it's, it's started to move the needle in a pretty significant way, but I don't wanna say that we've, we have all of our challenges solved. Um, I think every institution has challenges around um, a variety of things, including um, relations of all different populations. And so I, I don't wanna minimize that that work is never done, that your diversity, equity, and inclusion work is never done because it's also always evolving, right? And so I think uh, what we've done over the last, mm, I guess probably five years, we, we worked in a program with the Center for Urban Education out of USC. And uh, we were able to really take a deep dive into our data, 
and disaggregated our achievement data with our students. And we were able to take that data and really center programming around what problem are we trying to solve rather than um, having programming that was just informative in nature or um, you know, educational, if you will. We really took our programming and it was about solving the equity gap, bringing, bringing the achievement gap together and setting the same goals for all students, not having different goals for one set of students over the other. And as we've been going through this pandemic, we've been keeping that data front and center all the time. And that's been something that's really powerful. And it's, it's something that people can really, it's tangible and they can, they can hang on to it. And, and um, I think that's been something that's been really helpful for our, especially our faculty in the classroom and understanding the challenges our students go through. Our faculty know our students really well, and oftentimes they're the ones sharing with us what the challenges are for our students, particular, particularly our students of color and our students that are low income, first generation. And they, we would have some listening sessions or a faculty meeting, uh, particularly with academic affairs, and the faculty would say, listen, here's the problem I am challenged with. I have a student that only has access to the internet from eight to five every day, yet I, I need them to be able to engage at a, at a different time. And so we'll have that. We had one student who actually, she um, talked about innovative. Her bus ride to work was an hour and a half from one end of our community to the other. She scheduled herself to attend class on her on a phone, either an Android or an iPhone, I guess, uh, while she was riding her bus for that hour and a half. Because they had internet. Because they had internet on the bus, right. So I'm loving all these systemic changes in the conversation, staff and faculty to just on a dime, urgent, have to make change. What I also know you're doing at TCC and other places is the skills of faculty to do inclusive classrooms, difficult conversations. So it's not only the structure, but the actual skill development of your staff and faculty to have Absolutely. an EDI lens and change management to get folks to change how they're doing advising, career, how they're doing teaching, how they're doing admissions. We have about maybe three or four minutes before we'll go to a break. Mm -hmm. Just what's your advice to presidents to move to how do we help individual and collective groups that realize you need to change how you're interacting, how you're planning, what your services are, and it's not just the system of the whole campus? Well, you can't preach. You can't preach your way to closing the equity gap. You have to share the data. You have to, you know, what environment are you trying to change? You're trying to change the academic environment um, so that the equity gap can close at that point rather than having to wait for it to close in the workplace, right? And so sharing data, uh, talking about best practices. We have annually a program called... Um, culturally responsive pedagogy. So good. And so we have a, a variety of national um, 
education experts that mm -hmm. come in and have sessions and we have plenary sessions and we have smaller breakout sessions that help our faculty and really faculty across the state because we invite all of our colleagues from across the state. We have a donor that pays for it so we can we can invite as many people as can fit into the banquet hall. And we even hosted it virtually this last year, but um, just meeting them where they are. This is, how, this is how faculty learn how to teach. They learn through understanding the pedagogy and, and helping them in the language that they usually speak. And so just understanding the differences and, and really um, creating a safe place to talk about what happens in the classroom. I love it. So it's not only here's our vision of an inclusive, full breadth of differences, but particularly anti-racist classrooms, campus, the why, and then tools and skills, good practices. And I'm sure right. they're, they're sharing it in their departments. Here's my wonder. How close are you finding other presidents, their willingness to take that next step, in my opinion, to say, and then here are the competencies that we want faculty to have, staff to have, leaders to have to create truly inclusive campuses, classrooms, close the achievement gap. And we're gonna to begin to put those into hiring, performance mm -hmm. management. We've been doing professional development and we're moving in that direction so that, how close do you think, camp? and I know you don't speak for all presidents, especially. No, not at all. But um, what's your guess? I think everybody's in a different place. Everybody's in a different place and I think, all presidents, so I'm not really answering your question, but I think it, it depends on the environment and it depends on how far they are in their work. Pathways has really only been going on for about 20 years. That's not very long in the history of uh, higher education. Pathways was really created to close the equity gap, not only um, from uh, students of color standpoint, but also rural and urban and uh, suburban and urban. And so, um, I, I think everybody's in a different place. Uh, I have good friends from all over the country and they can take it on differently based on their community. Um, and so there's no, um, there's no magic identifier. And while that's kind of a non-answer, I think it's also something that presidents can hear and say, okay, I'm not necessarily behind because I can only go where my community wants us to go. And, and I can lead us there through education and through pedagogy. But if you try to go too fast, you'll take five steps back. And that's what I'm finding is some places are ready to say, oh yeah, let's have a community conversation about what are the competencies we want our students to have so that they're career ready and community leader ready. Mm -hmm. Therefore, staff, faculty, administrators, some places are starting with leaders saying, here's what I'm moving towards. These are some competencies that I'm committed to. How about let's talk as a leadership team. And so I appreciate meeting people where they are. We probably well, have just like a minute before we're Well, and the break. competencies aren't unique, right? They're just good practices. But the difference is our first generation, many of our students of color, um, students that may not have the resources, they don't have that support at home. So we're really talking about students that don't have as much support at home or whose families may not have as much 
experience navigating the educational system because it's complicated and it doesn't need to be that complicated. We can simplify it so that students can focus on what's happening in the classroom rather than everything else outside the classroom. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Dr. Lee Goodson. Can, could you share a bit about where people could find you? If people listening are like, huh, I have a president that may want to talk to you, or I'd love to learn sure. more. So, uh, I'm at Tulsa Community College in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and our website is tulsacc.edu. Fabulous. And I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear, Transformation Change Radio. You can find lots of open free resources, drkathyobear.com, especially backslash resources around dismantling racism in organizations, creating true anti-racist organizations, white accountability groups, and there's some resources on the webpage. We will come back in just a few minutes to continue the conversation with President Lee Goodson, Tulsa Community College. Thank you so much. I'm Patricia McNair, host of Divine Guidance with Patricia, and I'm here to help you live a more authentic, spiritually connected life. Join me every first and third Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Being who you are in everyday life is the key to unlocking soul wisdom within that our whole self already knows. Get ready to embrace your spiritual, mental, and emotional well-being, your whole being. Discover your gifts and strengthen your connection to spirit. We will explore earth guidance, divine truth, and love, past life lessons, and so much more. So listen in to Divine Guidance with Patricia and join in your personal adventure to triggering, opening, validating, and being all that you are. For more information about me, visit divineguidance.earth. Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Stop circling around difficult issues and find out what's been holding you back. Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy O'Bear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. Transition, simultaneously the most difficult and vital part of the human experience. Without change, how would we grow? Tune in to Grounding Into Your Radiance with Stacy Barber every second and fourth Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Step into your truth and allow the light into your life. For more information about Stacy and her services, visit StacyBarber.com. That's Stacy, S-T-A-C-I-E, Barber.com. Tune in to The Truth is Funny with Colette Steffen each Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show will have you thinking outside the box and riding the wave of infinite potential. Join Colette on the Higher Self Network, inspiring listeners to shine their brilliance and ensure success while roaring with laughter as they recognize the humor of the giant cosmic joke. Visit TheTruthIsFunny.com. Healing has a ripple effect. One person's healing affects everyone around them. This is where the power of sharing our stories can be so important. 
Tune in to Playing on the Edge Radio with Megan Edge each month on Transformation Talk Radio as Megan provides you with ways of sustaining radical and powerful changes in your life. Enact the power of radical change. To find out more about Megan Edge, visit her website at meganedge.ca. Welcome back to Transformation Change Radio. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear and so excited to continue talking to Dr. CEO and President Lee Goodson, Tulsa Community College. <laughs> we left off talking about leading change, change management, and my gut says that presidents are always juggling. Every moment, there might be 20 considerations. What can I say as someone recording it? How do I navigate? How do I plant a seed? Um, we certainly have a lot of constituents a lot of varied constituents. I would say um, anybody in a, in a public service position has a lot of constituents. And certainly um, here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it's no different. We've got the chamber, we've got legislators, we've got most importantly, our students, our faculty, our staff, the people that really make this place run. Uh, we've got our board, we've got our K-12 partners, our university partners. Um, Oklahoma's just a, it's a fabulous state, uh, and it is actually very diverse. Um, we're a, what I would consider a fairly conservative state, and, uh, and at the same time, we are, um, we celebrate a lot of diversity. We have um, per capita more uh, Native Americans in the state of Oklahoma, I believe, than any other state. And we are the uh, tribal headquarters for um, several uh, recognized tribes. And, and it's a really big part of our culture here. And so we, we talk about that a lot. Um, and then also we are commemorating the uh, 1921 race massacre this mm. year, which was um, the most significant uh, racial violent event in, in the history of the United States. And so um, we're really facing that and recognizing it. And I, you know, we have public officials uh, from the governor uh, all the way to the superintendent of our K-12 system that are really leading and making sure that um, we are recognizing that. And so we face our history um, with, with, um, all the, uh, openness and, and listening and, and retelling of the history that we can so that we make sure and embrace it and, and move forward in a healthy way. And then it's just, it's a great agricultural state. And I would say in any agriculture state, and I, I think of a lot of states that are in the central time zone, right? The, I call it the heartland uh, where you are, Kathy. Um, some people call it the high plains, right? Everything <laughs> south of Denver down to the Texas panhandle is the high plains. And so, um, but even in an urban area like Tulsa, just 20 minutes away or sometimes 15 minutes away, you're in a rural school, school district. So we have, we have students that come from um, really concentrated urban areas right in Tul here in Tulsa. And we have and employees and the same come from 20, 25 minutes away where they're in a very small school that may only have 50 or 100 students graduating in each class. 
And then you have a suburban district that has 12 or 1300 students graduating in their class. So we have a very diverse population here in Oklahoma. And, uh, and so uh, you're right, you started off the question with how, how careful presidents are when they talk. And I think that's just a skill that you develop when you're a public official, because you wanna keep your doors open and you wanna work with everybody because that's the only way to really benefit your students is if you, is if you have good relationships on behalf of the college with um, everybody that you need to work with to benefit students. And balancing that with the vision, because as we talked at the end of the first half, the vision of serving all of our students, closing achievement gap, mm -hmm. making sure we understand all the different intersecting identities, but particularly our students from our marginalized identities and recognize that sometimes our systems are set up to benefit students from more privileged identities and how do we shift our programs, practices, policies to make sure they are truly equitable, have true success, and our mm -hmm. staff and faculty, full breadth of differences, really a place to thrive. How did I do extroverting a vision of a an inclusive, equitable campus that could be bought in by most of the staff, faculty at most campuses and universities you know about? I think you did a great job. I think you did a great job of that. And I think sometimes presidents, I'm going to say this, uh, I have to meet with a lot of legislators and public officials about policies that are coming down the pike. And um, sometimes I'll hear presidents say it's, it's difficult to communicate that message. And I, I, uh, sometimes I agree with that, but really I think it's about connecting the dots, right? It's about everybody having the same opportunity to earn a family sustaining wage. And um, it's really about economic development. It's about having the proper workforce. Uh, so I, I think it's um, sometimes the economic development people and um, the people that are talking a lot about economic development and the people that talk a lot about social justice are using very different language, but the outcome that they both are looking for is not that different. And if you can connect those dots for public policymakers, it's really helpful to everybody. Um, and so that's something that we really, you know, as presidents really work on. You really have, and that's one of the reasons I was so attracted to you, some capacities and skills that 35 years ago when I was in student affairs at a university campus, and I find folks that lead with social justice, racial justice, advocacy, activism, whether it's inside an organization of higher ed, K-12 or outside, mm -hmm. You're helping me see that senior leaders, but particularly presidents, may have capacities that along the way other folks could develop so that there are more bridges. I think we need folks that are just holding clear, talking about the changes that need to happen internally sure. and externally and Absolutely. pushing. And the bridgers um, and maybe the presidents that are, I don't have your metaphor yet, spoke of the wheel. Um, what are some of the challenges and opportunities you've talked about some either in Oklahoma or other places mm -hmm. 
for presidents with all these constituencies, um, rural, urban, suburban, just where do you want to have that you haven't shared yet? Because there's so I think, much. I, I think what we're asking our faculty to do, which is meet every student where they are, is no different than what we have to step up and do ourselves, which is meet each constituency where they are. Mm -hmm. And we have to be the, the vehicle for communication to show communities, show different parts of our community that really our end goal is similar at a minimum and the same for the most part, which is we want people to have access to education. We want them to be able to complete their education and we want them to be able to move on to a family sustaining wage so that they can thrive and we can have what we call at TCC, our educated, employed and thriving community. So if it's, it's, it's about keeping your eye on the prize. And that, mean, that doesn't mean that we don't need all types of communicators in the system, but you've got to have that catalyst um, to help everybody connect the dots so we can get closer to the same page. And we had a question come in from folks to say, so how do you measure success? And there are so many mm -hmm. measures. Mm -hmm. But as you're asking staff, faculty, even students to measure their success as you're working with your senior leaders and constituencies mm -hmm. who might be funding or not based on success. Right. How do you measure success, especially with an EDI lens or racial justice lens? So it's pretty simple for us and we're getting ready to complicate it a little bit more. Um, but we use and I'll, I'll just do a shout out. I'm an Aspen Presidential Fellow and we use the pillars of the of the um, of the Aspen Prize, and that is uh, learning outcomes, completion, uh, equity across populations, and finally employment in our community. And so, when they are assessing institutions as to whether or not um, they have achieved great things in their community, those are the things being measured. So that means you have to have a robust assessment system. That means that you have to get students into the college and out of the college for completion. That means you have to have pedagogy and programs in place that close the equity gap. And that also means that you have to have mechanisms whereby your students either get jobs or successfully transfer to a university upon completion of their program uh, here at Tulsa Community College. So that's how we measure ourselves. We have not been able to master the employment piece. We have mastered the transfer piece. So we're working with our local economic development organization to uh, try to master the labor market outcomes piece, but that's how we measure ourselves. And um, it's pretty simple. And when you look at that, it's, it's about uh, a family sustaining wage. And it's, it's ultimately about economic development and everybody having that same opportunity. Mm -hmm. And disaggregating all the data so that you're finding those points. Absolutely. And then, oh wait, this department or this course we're noticing and getting that data back so that folks can do the development intervention. Right, and we're starting to have deans and, and faculty chairs and even individual faculty that want their own data disaggregated yes. so that they can see what they need to do in their individual classroom to be more inclusive. How much are campuses looking at the workforce 
corporations, family businesses, nonprofits, K-12, because what I know in my work is we can graduate folks that have EDI skills, that have a capacity to work in diverse teams, mm-hmm. serve with a lens of serving the full folks they're here to serve. And yet they get into organizations, workplaces that are still very early in their development and have lots of microaggressions, supervisors that can't create inclusive teams. So do you have, do you think presidents are thinking, hmm, workforce development, we need to be working with our top 50 employers or 10 employers to help them develop the skills, same skills that we're teaching our staff Mm -hmm. and faculty. You know, I, I would say we haven't gotten that far here at TCC. And I, and I love the direction you're going. Um, Tulsa itself, I think in large part due to the commemoration of the race massacre. So trying to have some good things come out of something that was really bad, right? We've really, as a community, I would say embraced DE&I in a way that um, might not have otherwise happened. And our chamber leads efforts on it. Um, Our larger corporations definitely lead efforts in that space. And I think uh, for us, it's important that we have parallel programming for our students so that they have the opportunity to enter into the workforce with some knowledge and some ability to uh, go into whatever practice they're going in with uh, the ability to work with a diverse workforce. But I would say in terms of, let me understand, you're kind of making me think like, is there a co-curriculum? Like, are we working you know, we haven't engaged at that level, but I love that idea. I love that idea, Kathy O'Bear. Well, even as we're doing programming around the Tulsa Race Massacre, which as many mm-hmm. people know was part of, I think they call it Red Summer, but it was like several years. Absolutely, yes. Of just horrific KKK, white supremacist, violence, domestic violence. And could you imagine if there's talking points that say, great, you all came to this program. Here are the three career-ready competencies Mm -hmm. that this program will help you address. And so you're doing it internal. You're getting your staff and faculty to start talking about career-ready competencies, community leader competencies. And I actually think it's a way to continue all the different ways that you work with constituencies, but it may be a way there could be resources coming back Sure. see that can fund scholarship or whatever, but there's so many small I business. I love the collaborative idea. If, Absolutely. If you all have people you ever want to talk, I'll just throw in a let's brainstorm because I could then, it, it just came to me, but it could be a way that you all are continue to serve the community. We just have maybe 10 minutes left. I have two things. I, I mean, there's so many things I want to talk about. One I know is, you sent me so many questions. We're only getting through like four of them. I talk too much. (laughs) No, it's just what happened. Um, Transformation or change. What are some structures, especially if you can move into accountability? I'm finding most campuses do are are moving in that direction of expectations as well as how will we develop, but hold people accountable. So what are some transformational long-term structures so Mm -hmm. that there is DEI change pathways and folks that don't know is guided pathways you can just google that right guided pathways there there's a a movement out there with guided pathways there's 
several hundred schools that are actively engaged in it. I would say most schools are at least starting the process if they're not deeply into it already. Um, I would say any kind of transformational change, when, whether you're trying to close the equity gap or <clears throat> have um, your fiscal um, infrastructure look different or any kind of long-standing change and certainly guided pathways, which really focuses on closing the equity gap. You hear that it takes about 10 or 10, more like 15 years for it to stick. You make all these cultural changes of really focusing not just on two college, but two and through, and not just um, making sure they get through the first year, but making sure they finish. And that's a tall order for community colleges as open access. Remember that um, most community colleges are open access institutions. And so we receive students as they are, and we try to surround them with uh, instructional benefits that help them get to and through. That kind of transformational change to cha really change the purpose of the college, because when it's when we started community colleges long ago, it was about access, and now it's about access and completion, and the four Aspen principles of excellence. And so, uh, which we talked about earlier, I would say leadership is really important, and not just at the president's level, but really at the team level, the the executive team, the cabinet, whatever you call it at your school. I um, I had a mentor that um, he was actually my VP of student affairs when mm. I was a student at Oklahoma State University. It was Dr. Ron Beer. And he just, he's a delightful person. He's retired now, but I have lunch with him maybe once a year, right? I drive over to Stillwater and have mm. lunch with him. And, and um, I was getting ready to start this role. And I said, tell me your number one secret. And he said, Lee, I think about talent all day, every day. Hmm. He said, I think about my team. I think about the professional development that they're engaged in. I think about what kind of mentoring I've done with them. I think about where they are on our agenda and do I need to bring them along further? Or are they pretty far on our agenda and can they help me bring others along? And so I think as the president, you're, you aren't running the college. You're making the, sure the college is running, right? Other people are actually running the college. And so making sure that um, you have succession planning in place, that you have some long-term stability at the leadership level. And that means you being an excellent mentor and teacher yourself. So I still consider myself an educator hmm. and my students are just... Um, really varied in age and, and it's a different classroom, so. And keeping in mind, again, all the competencies, capacities folks need to reach that vision of equity inclusion, closing right. the gap, uh, graduation, therefore, right. I love it. And then getting all the folks that you then supervise mentor to have people first, team first, because not everybody has that student affairs background and might come in right. Thinking, um, right. Sometimes my, it's only the student affairs officer that's really keeping DE&I equity gap, uh, rural, urban, top of mind. Right. And it's got to be broader than that or you won't be able to to move forward. 
and building that into expectations, competencies that are in performance, Mm -hmm. couple times a year meeting with your team, what progress have you made? And four-year universities have the resources to tie performance to then what monies come back to the division. Um, for different things. I'm not sure community colleges have that fluidity. Community colleges don't generally aren't set up that way through their financial infrastructure because our students are um, a little more fluid in their journey. So what I love about as you've just shared so much about what it means to be a president, kind of what you think about mm-hmm. folks that um, are thinking of managing up and mm-hmm. how do we make sure EDI, racial, social justice is a part of. My hope is you all heard some ways to bridge to the then. Right. Vision. You're really talking, of, I mean, economic development and social justice, the, the end outcome of a family sustaining wage um, is, is not that different. There are differences. I'm not trying to simplify it. Believe me. I just, there's a lot in common. There's a lot in common and it really helps the conversation. Could you imagine if top leaders and all their social racial justice folk on a campus that might be the ones that might be the more pushing types came together to say, what is our common vision? And not, this is ours but just what are we each and then how do we, and then how do, I could imagine that you know, could be a I've, change management. Where I've really seen that conversation come together is here locally with our Chamber of Commerce. Hmm. Could you, that's even broadening, Chamber right. of Commerce. I, I mean, I think what's really happening is from a corporate standpoint, um, people are understanding that a diverse workforce is more productive and that, um, that that helps that business and leadership case mm-hmm. People who are listening from other types of organizations, but K-12 and community colleges, technical colleges, for sure. People that are more R1 universities may have a broader reach, but I think you can still pull some ideas from what we're talking about. Final question. If, if someone were an aspiring president, vice president now, or maybe mm-hmm. they're coming from a different track, any final advice for folks that see that in two, three, and with all the retirements that are happening at presidents, it might come a lot faster, but what's your advice for new or aspiring folk? And by the way, I anticipate a lot more retirements from COVID. I mean, I just, I hear some of my friends that are a little bit older than me and they're just like, wow, this, this was, this has been exhausting. And so I think we'll see a lot of retirements Mm -hmm. over the next five years. Um, I would say, uh, the power of yes, just, I mean, when you're given an opportunity to do something, um, I would say, be that person that says, yes, if you can, I mean, you don't want to completely overload yourself. And, you know, we always know the most productive person is the person that you want to ask to do something, but get as many different types of experiences as you possibly can. I know, um, our CFO here at Tulsa Community College, he was getting, right before the pandemic hit, he was getting ready to really embark on some better understanding of both the student affairs and academic affairs areas through some um, professional development and attending conferences. And I think he'll probably engage in some of that virtually going forward. But, but 
I mean, he just wants to know more and right. And just, um, uh, so I would just say, keep, keep saying yes to those opportunities to learn and vary your learning. Don't just stay in your lane in terms of what you're trying to learn. When you hear about something interesting, say, I want to learn more about that. Is there an opportunity to do that? And, and they may say, well, absolutely there is and, and give you an example. And I would say, get involved in the community. Mm. Absolutely. You, um, if you aspire to be a president, uh, you will need to be able to have people that are in the community say that you're engaged in the community um, and that that is a positive thing. Um, and so definitely diversify your network. Mm-hmm. Fundraising, so advancement, as well as maybe relationship with legislatures just to Legislative show... relations, fundraising, uh, change management, strategic planning, board board relationships. It's all very diverse. My listeners are probably like, I need a breath. And not just presidents. I think senior leaders need senior leaders and also managers. So absolutely, absolutely. Please, thank you so much. As we close, oh, so appreciate all the it's wisdom been, and insights. Yes, I've had a great time visiting with you, Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Uh, you always um, are able to facilitate a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Dr. Lee Goodson. And could you just let people know how they can contact you if they want to maybe have you do something? Absolutely. Um, if, if they would like to learn more about what TCC has done through Guided Pathways or um, what our work has been, they can reach us at tulsacc.edu and uh, we'd be happy to share our experience. I love it. Again, I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear, <coughs> Transformation Change Radio. You can find me at drkathyobear.com. Lots of free resources, backslash resources, Look forward to next time where we'll continue this conversation about creating especially racial justice in organizations. Dr. Lee Goodson, thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Kathy O'Bear on Transformation Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to catch us next time as Kathy inspires listeners to become agents of change, motivate, innovate, and speak truth to power. Step into the courageous you that will change the world. Connect to life-changing conversations to extend your reach. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com.